Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Shikta Das, Associate Principal Scientist at AstraZeneca, and Dr. Tazin Rizvi, Clinician and Entrepreneur. In this episode, we talk about the state of data and technology in healthcare. I absolutely loved recording this conversation because these two experts bring a different perspective to the topic. Shikta is coming from the viewpoint of a data scientist and Tazin, that of a digital health expert. You will hear about the role of data-driven technologies in creating accessible, more inclusive, and efficient care delivery models. You will also hear about the critical opportunities that need to be addressed to unlock the value of data and digital tools and ensure that diagnostics, digital solutions, and treatment are adequate for every segment of the population. Finally, we touch on topics such as bridging the data gap the impact of biased data on research and diagnosis, and how decentralized clinical trials can help address these issues. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women in Data podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. We're going to talk about the state of data in and technology in healthcare. And I have to say that although I've touched a tiny bit about healthcare on, on well, healthcare. <laughs> I always struggle with the pronunciation of that word because we never say the H in French when it's, <laughs> when it starts. And health is very difficult for me to pronounce even after eight years in London. <laughs> so although I've touched a bit on healthcare on different episodes, it's the first time I have an episode that is fully focused on data and technology in the space. And I'm going to have to admit that I don't know anything about it. So I'm hoping that I will be able to lead the conversation <laughs> in a way that's going to drive loads of value and that we can learn from you because the two of you are experts in the field and I really can't wait to learn from you. So welcome, welcome. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much, Karen, for inviting us. Before we dig into this super interesting and very important topic, I want to say, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Maybe we start with Shikta? Thank you, Karen. So I am Shikta Das. I, uh, my background is in genetic epidemiology and data science. I'm currently working as an associate principal scientist in AstraZeneca, and I'm responsible for genetic research in chronic diseases and implementing statistical methodology in AstraZeneca's cardiovascular and oncology therapeutic area. I also hold an honorary lecture degree in epidemiology in Medical Research Council, LHA, Institute of Cardiovascular Studies, University College London. Today, I'm going to talk about my views and they are not representative of my employers. Thank you. How about you, Tazin? Thank you, Karen. First of all, thank you for the invitation and it's such a pleasure to be here with Shikta. I am Dr. Tazin Rizvi. I'm a clinician, but I have been the healthcare technology space for the last 15 years. I have an MSc in healthcare management from Royal College of Surgeons, 
And recently, I've studied blockchain from University of Oxford. So over the course of my career, I help entrepreneurs, I help startups and healthcare organizations leverage technology to improve access to care and to improve the existing healthcare delivery models. I am a co-founder of two startups, actually, uh, Zevin Health and Pulse360. Both are clinician-based startups, and we work across the care continuum to improve healthcare by improving access, providing awareness, improving communications. We bring different stakeholders together, key players together. We also have a podcast of our own. And our main aim is to just improve the quality of care and make healthcare more accessible, inclusive, and sustainable. Thank you. I love how the two of you work in similar-ish fields, but it feels like it's very different worlds because Tazin, you're very focused on the business side of things and the technology, while Shikta, it feels to me like you're more on the research side of things. Um, so very different point of view that we are going to have today, and that makes the episode even more exciting. Could you maybe give us a brief intro on the current state of data and AI in healthcare at the moment? So maybe helping us understand the space data and technology holds and also how the technology, so what role data-driven technology plays in the space? I think uh, healthcare data is very important. As uh, we have realized that in the current climate very much. Uh, it's growing and we also know that we are living in, in quite an aging population with chronic diseases at the moment. So any kind of data in combination with tech is considered one of the most important research areas in, in my field as well as in application itself. And I think, uh, you know, what I really want to talk about at this stage is the importance of the data collection and how data is integrated in, in uh, health tech these days. We know that with the better health data, we can make more informed clinical decisions. We can use the data to learn and develop further about treatments to patients. And most importantly, one identified fact is that we can reduce cost, which is going to be quite an important discussion, I'm guessing, in this podcast. It just doesn't benefit the patient itself. We have a wider outlook for this kind of data in health tech. And I think it benefits everyone, you know, who are involved, the healthcare systems, the healthcare providers, the medical researchers. And I'm very keen to understand how Tazeen feels about this topic as well. Okay, thank you, Shikta. You've made some really important points. And um, when we talk about data, I mean, where it's really very, very valuable is that patient data-driven insights and clinical insights that we get from data through leveraging technology can be key in reducing health inequalities, improving population health, as Shikta mentioned here, the aging population, and also other uh, different areas of clinical speciality. When we collect data from a population, we are able to make better decisions. We are able to make population health planning, and we are able to make uh, interventions that actually are driven by the issues that that particular community or that particular society is facing in terms of their health, emotional, and physical well-being. So now when we talk about data-driven technologies, and again, Shikta, taking from you, data is so valuable and it's, it's actually key. Uh, and technologies without data really can't produce any tangible result. So for example, I mean, very recently, I was working with a very reputable non-profit organizations and we wanted to capture data of how community of females in a community 
were taking care of their prenatal, antenatal, postnatal care, and also seeing how much of contraception, what kind of contraceptions and family planning they were doing. And we collected data through technology. And once we had that data over a period of six months, we gave that data to the um, health authorities and health leaders so they can develop strategies and policies that actually can highlight the issues that we identified by collecting that data. So I think data-driven technologies and data collected through technological advancement, digital health tools can really, really change the way healthcare is being delivered now, can give personalized treatments. We can develop population-focused planning, population-focused interventions, and they can all together actually produce healthier societies and communities who have better access to health and get treatment which is tailored to their needs. Yeah, and thank you so much the, for the two of you for sharing that. I could not agree more. So I I feel like, I guess healthcare is something that affects all of us. So in terms of Shikta, you were mentioning chronic diseases. I am asthmatic. Um, so this is something that I can relate to. And also you shared some examples about different groups of people and how the data we collect and the data gaps around that. And we know that there is so much going on at the moment with the, the data gap when it comes to gender data gap for healthcare. So everything that how <laughs> clinical trials and uh, research are done and are heavily biased towards men and how that affects women. Definitely some great points and some good work that needs to be done there. But I love the fact that not only we're talking about bridging the data gap in terms of supporting the population, but Shikta, you also mentioned the, the price impact that has and how we making sure that the data is correct. It's the data that we have could actually reduce cost. So I guess we can move on and talk about all these different opportunities that you've already touched on. So these are critical things that need to be addressed in the field, being on the health side of the healthcare or on the digital and the technology side of things. Could you help us understand really these different critical actions so that you would like to see changing in the field and that you believe are important to drive value from data and technology in healthcare? Thank you, Karen, for, again, a very great question. I think, as I was earlier saying as well, that data is really holds the power to make uh, impactful change in healthcare. So why uh, data-driven technologies, data in general, or health data, can how it can really change, and what are the critical areas where it can really produce uh, impactful decisions and actionable item is when we develop, start developing strategies to not only develop better clinical decision systems, but to reduce cost, to include all segments of the population in uh, when we're developing technologies. For example, technologies right now, we when we talk about, oh, there's so much technology in healthcare, but is it really helping all segments of the society? Are everybody in the population has equal access to these digital health tools? And when we read a lot of research and when we talk to experts, we find out that's absolutely not true. Even though we talk about the opportunity that digital technology provides in closing the gender gap, in making healthcare uh, less expensive, making healthcare more equitable, making healthcare more sustainable, we are actually 
not doing that in reality. So when I see what are the critical areas from that background or from that foundation is that we, when we're developing technologies, we need to take care of the population across the world, across the globe. We can't just make systems for developing countries. So as I was mentioning earlier as well, so I work a lot in Africa and in developing countries. And the technology there is very different to the technology system that you would find somewhere here in the UK. So healthcare leaders, investors globally need to understand that if we want digital technology to really change the narrative and really make the health ecosystem more inclusive and better than the ones that we had pre-COVID, we really need to include the developing countries we need to find out the issues that they have. There is no one system fit all. So I can't say that I have this technology. It is a great tool. It works great in the UK. I'll just take it to Africa and I'll just change the way they take care. No, it, it's not as simple. So we all, all stakeholders, key leaders, innovators need to understand that we need to co-design technology and keep the patient, the people at the heart, at the center of that system, be it the patients, be it the pairs, or be it the care teams. So I think the critical point for me is always focus on the challenge and then work towards that. Find a problem, then work towards a solution using technology and data. Thank you. Um, I think that's very, very good. And if I can sort of add to it from a researcher point of view who works with diverse data sets and trying to make sure that the health data is more diverse. I think one of the complications which we face and, and some difficulty is collecting this large sample sizes, which is required for uh, this kind of health data to address all the problems. And, you know, the granularity of the ethnic data, which we really expect to see, is very difficult to collect. And you already mentioned this, and I'm going to highlight it, that we are still discussing the methodological questions, the reliability of the data and the comparability at the regional level. These are some of the questions which we are still discussing. And although I'm very hopeful, but I think assessing this kind of health inequality and regional challenges or country level challenges, they are going to be a big challenge uh, going forward. And as you know, that if you don't address this, this kind of risk gives us a lot of communication breakdown or limited perspective and, of course, bias in healthcare data. Absolutely. And I think further to what I would say, and it's such an important point that you raise, and when you talk about data-driven technologies, obviously machine learning, AI, I mean, we have to talk about those emerging technologies and how they will shape the technology of our healthcare of tomorrow. And bias in data is such a key point that needs to be addressed because uh, we always say, oh, but it's a machine. It doesn't hold biases. We forget <laughs> what we forget is that we are the ones who are training that machine. So if I am biased, the machine will produce biased results. So the machine is as good as the data I feed in it. So it's so important to have clinically ethical, I mean, clinically correct and ethical data if we really want to use health data to drive equality and to reduce disparities. So, I mean, clean data is, is very important. And that's why I think what we really need to work on, again, the health leaders, the policymakers, I think every key driver in this ecosystem is to work on governance. I mean, at this point, technology, health technology is booming. 
And that's a great thing. But what's happening is it's moving faster than the legal frameworks can catch up to it, which means we have a lot of systems out there which, which are not properly governed. They are not actually following a framework, which means that they can lead to biased data. And those systems will yield biased results. And then, you know, it just becomes a whole cycle where we have unethical data producing unethical results. And that data, again, in increasing the health disparity, increasing the gender gap, it's all interconnected, actually, really. And what's really important is that we need to have guidelines, frameworks, not only for machine learning. How, how are we collecting data? How are we cleaning data? Who are we including in clinical trials? How are we sharing that data? You know, sharing data, I think, again, one of the things that we talk a lot about is safe sharing of data. How are, where are we keeping the data? And, you know, that's where, you know, I can go on and on about emerging technologies <laughs> and blockchain, but I'll stop there, Karen. <laughs> I mean, there is so much in there to uncover. I was just nodding my head and thinking, yes, especially when you spoke about the fact that, I mean, your algorithm and your technology is only as good as the data you feed you feed in. And, Absolutely. And I have this great episode with Itoro who is talking about, so she talks about algorithmic bias and how data professionals can work around that and ensure that their data is not that ensure that their data is not biased because <laughs> I don't think we're there yet, but at least be aware of their bias and how that's going to affect the output of their algorithm. That's a great one, but you also mentioned the governance and you tell me how you feel about it, Sheikh but I feel like technology moves so fast that we've been tackling problems with technology before actually knowing what the impact would be and how we were going to deal with that. And it's only now that we're starting to think, oh, hold on, let's do governance now. This is something we need. So I'm hoping that in the future, <laughs> governance is going to be more established than it is now. Shikta, is that something that you feel the same or do you have a different view? I think, Karen, absolutely. I feel the same way as you and Tazine and Dave. In my work experience as well, I can tell you that a point which she raised was very valid, which is artificial intelligence in today's technological world can increase data bias. And I'm very keen to actually provide you with some examples, you know, which could be data driven algorithm based or predictive analysis or even real life examples, you know, which are very, very, very relevant to what we are talking about. And if we talk about the data driven algorithms, you know, we are talking about skin image analysis algorithms and, and we know that they have been trained on white patients. And when this algorithm is applied to black patients, we don't get the same level and Basically, they get categorized as healthier uh, white patients. Now, this is where what Tajin was saying is very important, is that we need the diverse data for the training and testing of our models to make sure that our model is aware of this kind of data differences. And how data is collected is also matters, and, and she has already covered that part. Some of the example is that we are not really thinking in these capacity at the moment is about how we are capturing data from the low socioeconomic status people's health. And that will matter in future a lot, because if we are only providing, um, you know, as she mentioned, providing solutions, uh, technological solutions for a certain group of people, then we are absolutely not capturing this whole big data bias at all. Some of the other examples I've come across is, of course, from healthcare is these analyzing of radiological images, which you 
know is much faster by these machine and tech models than by human. But you know what we have seen is that the sex differences between chronic diseases like cardiovascular diseases or diabetes or even mental diseases does not come across and that is something again can only happen once we have diverse data sets implied and one of the very recent example i can give you is about oximeters accurately predict the black population and the black patients information correctly all of this really leads to the question about the governance which uh, we have already spoken about in terms of when i'm working with the data what i really want is is a consistent and a usable data and we are talking about data governance we should also be talking about data cleaning and very much in favor of what tajin has mentioned so far in my own practice you know what we really have is a list of best practices which we have to follow if we are working with electronic health records or medical data and we really make sure that we monitor errors we standardize our processes we have data accuracy we remove any duplicates and these are very technical procedures and i think they should be now implemented with uh, with any kind of development in this space keeping in mind the diversity of the data when you are talking and analyzing this data you will be able to communicate and make sure that you capture the loopholes much better if you work in these sort of consistent ways true true shikta and and when the, the examples you mentioned and, and and you said clinical trials and how are we actually making sure that participants from low socio economic groups or developing countries can take part so i recently read a study and they said in the us it takes about 6500 dollars for a participant to come to a clinical trial now you know a lot of them don't even are compliant so that cost loss so clinical trials are very expensive in terms of how we can make that better and there's something that i want to talk about a decentralized clinical trials and that that's something that's been worked on now to use technology to diversify the participants in clinical trials now what technology can do that a you can tap into diverse age groups diverse ethnicities and diverse socio economic groups and no, none of these people really need to leave their work and go to a research facility not ev- everybody has the luxury of you know just leaving home and just going and especially when you talk about how women are represented in clinical trials and why there are uh, not enough women in clinical trials because the environment is not conducive our entire process is not conducive to all segments of the population so what technology does is and i think that's where technology is helping is you meet the patient where they are that is they don't come to you you go to them and you go to them by technology by virtual tools by remote patient monitoring so when clinical trials will start using these digital tools to monitor patients where they are we will increase the diversity they'll be more inclusive and the data that you know people like shikta who work on data get a much better representation of the society than we usually getting now so that's where decentralized trials is something i'm really excited about and i'm very hopeful that if we are able to implement it right we might be getting better data better quality of data a more inclusive data in the future just naming some stats from another research that i think african americans are 13% of the us population but their representation in clinical trials is less than 5% mm. and we all know that because of our genetic makeup different diseases act on each of us differently and if you completely ignore one segment of the population 
I mean, you can see the drugs that come out of that trial, anything that comes out of that trial will be more favorable towards one segment of the population. Today, I was actually reading um, a blog post where it was saying that the majority of the drugs that are actually removed from the market are because of this lack of diversity in the trial, because there we did not have enough knowledge of the side effects on the part of the population. And in that case, it was women, because that's, I was looking at the gap when it comes to women's health. Uh, so because there were not enough women in the trial, they were not very aware of what the side effects would have been on women. And then once the drug was put on the market and then side effects started showing, they had to remove the drugs. I just wanted to go back to one point on the decentralized clinical trials, and it's down to the costs. So you mentioned that in the US, it's over six grand to have someone coming to a trial. So to recruit a participant, sorry. To recruit a participant. Okay. If we go down the route of the decentralized clinical trial, do you feel that would be more expensive or would it be more cost efficient? It would be more cost efficient. Yeah, because you're recruiting people. So not all the clinical trials, and Shikta can speak more on that because that's her forte, but there are different models of clinical trials. But on an average, you, it does take money to recruit people for clinical trials. And if you use technology, again, if you meet the patient where they are, they can be part of a study, but they haven't left their demographic and they haven't left where they are which means they can carry on with their life and still be a part of the study. Absolutely. I agree with you. And if I can add to the point of cost effectiveness, you know, what we really are doing is lowering this gap or diminishing the gap of this digital illiteracy. Not everyone will have the apps and texts and phones to work on anything to provide you with data. So by making sure that we are reaching this broad demographic, we actually, by going to them, you are actually taking feedback directly from these patients group, you know, which might not be accessible. And we are actually technically working with people, you know, we are scheduling our trials around them. We are making sure that the availability is taken into account. Most importantly, what we are doing is we are developing trust with these communities, with the subgroups. And that is so important in current world of science and technology development in healthcare. Very important for us to make sure that we have reached this broad uh, representation of population which has not yet been contacted for trials or for tech development. So I think very, very important points raised here. And definitely by doing this, you know, I know it looks like that the cost will be increased because you are making more movement, but you have to look at the wider picture where a researcher goes to this community and not the entire community comes to this one researcher. So, you know, I think if you are thinking in those terms, yeah, definitely, I think we are making better choices in cost. Absolutely. And she again touched a point, you know, that I can speak on always on is digital health literacy. Now, digital health literacy is one thing that is perpetuating the health inequalities, because a lot of these technologies that we think are mainstream for us, we all have uh, a sleep tracker, we're all wearing Apple watches and have iPhones. We need to understand that there's more than, I think, 3 billion population on this earth that doesn't have access to internet. Very true. 
I was just going to add to this from the diversity point of view, which I work very much in genetic data and, and probably don't want to quote me on this, uh, um, uh, you know, but this is just for the discussion is that we are only we still are only collecting 70 percent of the Caucasian population by these absent texts. So technically speaking, we have less than 10 percent of the other ethnic groups represented within this digital literacy part. That's again shows how this parity spreads, you know, uh, if you are only dependent on tech for collecting data. And then you also said women about the gender gap. So Mm. we take, we talk about this, oh, there's a boom in uh, health digital technology. Now, how many of these new apps and new digital tools are looking after women's health? I mean, we can name a few period tracker apps, but how much of this investment goes into apps which are which are trying to improve women's health. Do you know last year, of all the investment in digital technology, only 6.4% was on femtech, meaning technology that is focused on women's health. Now it's that again, You, if you're funding femtech less, less products are being produced, less female generic, female data is being collected, less decisions are based on female data. So it's just a cycle that keeps on repeating, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Femtech is a is an area I'm very interested in, and it's very hard to actually find something that's already well established and have the data. I feel like everybody is trying to get the data right now, uh, and they can't do anything because there there is no data. To close the episode, could you Shikta, could you share with us uh, a piece of resource that? helps you in your career and personal development? Sure, Karen. Thank you so much for asking me. I do spend a lot of my personal time in listening and reading a lot about diversity in healthcare data. I am quite passionate about this topic. You can hear me speaking about this a lot. (laughs) I work actually very closely with a lot of charities and organizations who work on the diversity in health data. And I think my main focus is to try and understand these barriers. I've worked with the specific communities with specific problems during COVID to try and understand why we are not reaching them. What are the barriers? How can we solve them? As a genetic epidemiologist, of course, I follow up a lot of podcasts for my genetic research work. I follow podcasts like podcasts from Genetic Society, Genetics Up Close, and they address the diversity issue a lot in those podcasts, which is really of my interest. But I also listen to Patient Rising podcast, which promotes uh, diversity in science or Mind the Gap. These are very, very good podcasts, which raises good issues to think about. And I really enjoy listening to them. Thanks for sharing that. And Tazine, is there anything that you're learning at the moment or are interested in learning about? There's a lot to learn about in digital (laughs) health technology, but very recently I've been very intrigued by how emerging technologies, blockchain, NFTs, metaverse, augmented reality will affect uh, the healthcare industry. So I've recently completed a course, as I mentioned earlier, from the University of Oxford on blockchain strategy and NFT and metaverse. So I really want to learn how we can maybe use sharing of data better through blockchain, through smart contracts where the data is more secure, how we can actually keep patient data on maybe digital coins or NFT. So I'm exploring those areas of how we can, you know, make data sharing faster, easier, make digital health system more interoperable. Uh, So that's what I'm actually focused on these days. That sounds great. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me on the podcast today. It was a pleasure.
Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Tazine. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.